Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got a repeat guest. We don't we don't do that too often, Marty. So that was we had a lot of fun last time back in uh, aired October 4th, 2021. Uh, but we have Marty Strong with us. Marty, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, Brett. Good. Well, it's good, good to be with you. And uh, you know what I'm fired up about today is we're going to talk about this new book you got coming out here. It's called Be Visionary. And so when you got a name, Visionary Wealth Advisors is your company, and you got a guy with a book called Be Visionary, it's just made, it's a recipe for success today, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a marriage. <laughs> Some kind of matchmaking. Matchmaking I mean, in heaven. That's right. Right here today on the circuit of success. Well, uh, <laughs> those people that did not get to dial in in October uh, of 2021, last time we spoke, uh, Marty is retired Navy SEAL officer and combat veteran. Uh, he's a novelist, a practicing CEO, a chief strategy officer. Uh, you've got your other book, Be Nimble, How the Creative Navy SEAL Mindset Wins on the Battlefield and in Business. And then this book, as we just mentioned, Be Visionary, Strategic Leadership in the Age of Optimization, is coming out January of 2023. And I know you're a thought leader and you're talking all over the world and doing things and helping tons of people. So thanks for being with us. But if you could, maybe just give us again a little background, who Marty Strong is, and uh, what continues to make you the man you are today? Okay, well, I'm from the, uh, the humble state of Nebraska. My parents were, um, I guess, farm kids for the most part. My dad was definitely a, um, a Depression-era farm, farm kid, large family, et cetera. So they, had, uh, they both had a very, very strong work ethic, a real blue-collar approach, even though my dad ended up getting a degree later on and eventually spending 30 years working for the government. I think he was a deputy director of Walter Reed when he retired. Oh, wow. He never, he never, you know, he never left that early part of his life. And that's what he imparted to me and my brothers and sisters is kind of a, you know, return the tool in better condition than you borrowed it, you know, be polite. A lot of the golden rule kind of application, yeah. but very strictly applied and take care of things that you've been given and appreciate the people that are helping you and the people around you. So, that essentially was my value system. And that's what I walked into the Navy in uh, the mid seventies with, and kind of stumbled into the SEAL team uh, selection process and ended up spending 20 years in that business. So, or that, in that role. Travel the world, uh, chasing bad guys in that role, man. And appreciate and thankful for your service. You guys are amazing at what you do. So, um, we can talk about a lot of stuff today, but one of the things I want to talk about when we spoke, you know, almost a year ago, the world was still, you know, somewhat shut down. Obviously it was kind of opening back up, but what have you seen now and all the leaders that you're helping, but also the, the companies that you're running, what have you been seeing as the biggest difference today now that the world, you know, basically is back up and running and, and making things happen? Well, I think there's, there's two kinds of disruption that occurred with the pandemic. And by all definitions, the pandemic was a black swan. Nobody, there are people paid to anticipate epidemics and pandemics, but nobody really anticipated this particular one. And it's not so much that it was because of the virus, the way a virus was spread or the medical aspects of it. It was the political and governmental aspects of it. Yeah. We've never really had a, either an epidemic or a pandemic where our governments, both state, local, and federal, just started shutting things down and shutting people down and shutting movement and uh, commerce down. And then it wasn't consistent because of the way the states are laid out politically. It wasn't consistent across the whole country. 
So if you're a CEO like I am, and I've got uh, one country, one company that's in 21 different states, and Japan, and another company that's in seven states, you had this kind of topsy turvy, uh -huh. you know, reaction to COVID and to each state's rules, whether they're very, very stringent or very, very loose. And we thought we were pretty stable and we were still growing in both companies through uh, 21, which we kind of patted ourselves on the back for being able to hold it all together and still grow a little bit. But then the, uh, the VAX mandate came out September 16th of 21. And the mandate applied to all government employees, all military, all government contracting employees and companies and all healthcare workers. Well, I manage a government contracting <laughs> company and a healthcare company. So we were a little bit too soon on that padding of our backs because suddenly I found out that about half of my entire, about thousand, thousand people population were not vaccinated. And about 40% basically told us when we're not gonna get vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so that was, my, that was my real kind of black swan event inside of the bigger black swan event because everything up to that point we had figured out we'd managed we'd retooled reshaped restructured re-envisioned the companies the way we're doing business i sent everybody home in in march of 2020 and i've only got about 16 people out of about 58 that were in the main office managing these companies now i shrunk down from 21,000 square feet of office space in a couple locations down to 6,800. embraced all that right change move do all yeah. those things i write about and then all of a sudden there's this decision that everybody has to have a vaccine or else they can't work. And so that really created a crisis for us there in, uh, in September. So, and again, every state and a lot of our government um, and government agencies and the Department of Defense, they all kind of reacted either very aggressively about the new rule or said, don't worry about it. So it was, it was all over the place. And in the healthcare side, there wasn't actually a deadline expressed so the whole healthcare market was going, well, do we have to have everybody vaxxed by tomorrow, by next week, 10 days, 20 days, yeah. next year? Yeah, it was, a, it was a mess. And that was the biggest, so far, the biggest impact to COVID, the pandemic on the business, because everything else that, that's happened, it really has either been a positive or neutral to the, to the two businesses. Yeah, well, it's pretty hard to go out and replace 40% of your uh, workforce, isn't it? I mean, my gosh. It is. And they, they had security clearances. So that's difficult to find those people. And they had some very um, unique skills that the government wanted, you know, and, and certain credentials like that to be trainers certified by this agency or that agency or particular program. So yeah, you couldn't just go out there and find them on, on the street. You know, the second part, which I think is hitting everybody, and this is kind of the 2022 impact is the staffing crisis in that we always had good retention in both companies. And I talk about this with my board members. I talk about this with other business owners all the time. You know, they, they, everybody was kind of pointing to the great resignation. All right, that's the reason for it. And, and everybody's still trying to get a handle on exactly what's going on. I, I've heard that the baby boomers all started retiring around the same time as the pandemic. And, and there was an accelerated uh, advancement of the next generation, which left a big hole in the middle. And, Nobody's qualified for those jobs and, and all kinds of crazy theories. But in, in reality, our, our experience has been, if, you, if you're looking for good people, you're going to have to pay them what they're worth. And their worth is based on the market availability now. 
So those dynamics have changed because of the second kind of parallel event next to the pandemic. And I'm not sure it's directly associated just with the pandemic. I think the pandemic is one of those things like, like a revolution where a revolution changes the entire social fabric of a nation and, and just changes everything. Suddenly everybody can own something where before only the king could own something. Those kinds of really, you know, huge sea changes, right? I think the pandemic changed the way labor is going to be utilized in this country and maybe around yeah. the world, depending on what, how the country's uh, addressed it. But so we're still trying to get our hands around that. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what do you see? I mean, as a leader of organizations and, you know, an, an author, you're writing great books. I mean, what, what do you see for us other leaders and the people listening to this podcast? I mean, what, what do you see? What do you forecast one, two, three years from now? You see any big changes out there? I think you're going to end up with three different ways to, to do work. You're going to have traditional labor structures like we've had for the last, say, 75 years. Most of that's going to be related to the, the way the job has to be executed. So if you have factory jobs, it's very hard to do that from home. You can't do that through a cloud function, right? If you need, like, say, medicine, sure, there's some remote medicine capabilities. I, uh, I had a Da Vinci um, surgery for kidney cancer, and the doctor was in some other room. There's just some robot working on me. But for the most part, you have to have people hands-on patients, right? So, so right. that's an area. The second category is a complete detachment, untethering from a place of work. That's virtual work in 100% of its definition, where not only is the, the work itself modulated and, and so self-directed, but the pace of that work and the use of that day is up to the individual. If they want to work from 2 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock in the morning and take the rest of the day off, they can do it as long as they check the boxes and execute. And then the third one's a hybrid, something where you see a little bit of a mix of the virtual and a little bit of a mix of the traditional. It's, it's, um, all this has been enabled by the technology that provided these cloud-based platforms for just about everything. I mean, you can, you can uh, 3D design things now. You don't really need to have yeah. you know, the, the factory sitting there for a lot of things. And that's, that's only going to get more and more dramatic as, as the technology advances. Uh, accounting, you know, where before you had to try to push all the accounting files, payroll files, through a, uh, an internet server. Well, now through cloud-based things, you can go into the cloud and, and manipulate it and move it around up there and then move it from one cloud location to the other without worrying about the size of your, of your uh, IT pipe in the building, et cetera, or at your house. So yeah, so those, are, those all kind of came in in parallel with the pandemic and also in parallel with this, this shock, this, this impact, the tonic shift in the way people looked at their work and the way they looked at working for somebody else. Yeah. So um, a different kind of question is the positive impact. Uh, you talk about flexibility, creativity, and decisiveness to achieve results, you know, in this book. And so, so talk to us about that. Let's start with flexibility first. W what is the positive impact of a fl uh, applying flexibility? Well, you know, the opposite of being rigid. So there are high speed supersonic reconnaissance aircraft, and we've had these since the uh, early 1960s that go up into the atmosphere and move it at, at incredible rates of speed. They actually have materials and they have the capability to expand and contract because of the different atmospheres they're going into. If you've had a rigid aircraft, they basically shake themselves apart and destroy themselves because of the stresses they're under, they're going under. That's the same thing with almost anything you look at. 
it could be an individual, it could be the organization, it could be a particular team doing a particular. So if you don't have flexibility, you're not going to be open to any insights. You're not going to be open to anything new. If you're if you're doing the same process and, and you're using the same systems that you used last year, you know, you could do an exercise here. Just ask, well, when when was that system put in place? And when was that process put in place? And it's almost like a, a time travel thing. You, you go back and you go, well, what was happening in my market? What was happening to our company? What kind of people did we have at that time? And you'll find that in most cases, the processes and systems, unless they're dramatically challenged, stay for a long time. And they, they go from being habits to traditions. And when you have a tradition in a room of people that have been living that tradition, it's very, very difficult to think a different way. It's very difficult to be flexible. Yeah, that's a good point too. We do, we get stuck in our little rut, don't we? Well, we, yeah, first, first we either dig the rut ourselves and lay down in it <laughs> or, or somebody else dug it for us. And we, we lay down in it because we're told to, and then we just stay in it. You know, we don't yeah. look up over the edge of the rut. We don't, we don't do anything, but just follow rules and follow directions. Yeah. Yeah. So flexibility is a very important component to, to vision and, and nimble leadership. Yeah. And I think too, you know, like we're going, I think it's, uh, in two weeks, I can't remember the exact date, but I'm taking, you know, our executive leadership team, we're all going out, uh, to an offsite retreat and, you know, we'll spend the whole day going through processes, platform, you know, what the vision looks like, whether that's 90 days from now or, or three years from now or, or 10 years from now. And I think that's a, a really, really critical step for a leader. Don't you think to get off out of the office with the team, slow down so you can speed up and be flexible and learn from the things that are going really well and the things that maybe not going as well that you want to improve or add to. It's a great idea. And you're probably in the top half of 1% of companies that do something like that. You wow. see it in, for some reason, you see it in movies and TV and you just think, well, they're all taking these big retreats and they're all having these big, you know, strategic sessions and all that, but very few companies do it. Very few organizations of any kind, profit or nonprofit do such a thing. And I, I even go a step further. I, I, I tell everybody, I write about it, take 20 minutes every day, every morning, and just clear your mind and envision, you know, the, the horizon. What do I want to be personally and professionally in two years? Kind of vision, what, take a, a moment and envision, what will I look like? How much money will I make? What house will I live in? All those kinds of things. Yeah. And then shift to the organization if you're responsible as a leader in an organization. What do you want the organization to look like? What do you want the alliances to look like? What do you want them to be making or doing as a service or a product? If you do that every morning for about 20 minutes, it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to meditate to do it. You just can just sit there and you think. What you're basically doing is you're taking the short, the short range, very short range in some people's cases, um, optimizing checklist or KPI checklist, and which is a to-do list of sorts. And you're getting that out of your head for a moment to think beyond that. Because if you don't do something like that, and you're not in one of the organizations like yours that does this type of retreat, what you end up doing is you end up running down this railroad track, incrementally taking little tiny steps, looking at the tips of your toes until you get hit by the train that you didn't see coming because you never looked up. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a very important thing to do. Yeah. It's shocking to me that you say the half of 1% or whatever the, the number you said, and, and it just, it is shocking to hear it, but also it's, it's shocking to know it that they, a lot of people don't do that. So somebody listen right now, you're a leader of a big company, a little company, your house. I don't care what it is. Have an offsite retreat, 
you know, I, I used to do them. I need to do it more often, but we do it quarterly as a firm, but I used to do one then also personally, I would go off by myself and just think about what are the things that we need to do or I want to do. Right. Um, and then have those conversations with my wife about that stuff. And I think that's, again, that's really, really important no matter what you're leading uh, to set down just you uh, a journal and a, and a, and an ink pen and, and think and strategize and dream. Right. Yeah, I think the first two chapters of Be Visionary focus on this. It's more of a your personal attention to the art of the possible, you know, to dreaming. How, how often do you dream? How, I mean, I'm talking waking yeah. dreaming. How often do you dream about a potential future? And when you start thinking about those things, you start to structure it a little bit. You say, all right, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for threats on the horizon, competitive threats or any other kind of threat. Could be a supply chain threat or something um and you're also looking for opportunities and it's it's part of human nature that's easier to see or conceive of the threat side of the equation yeah it's very difficult when i talk to people it's very difficult for them to envision the opportunity yet the opportunities are critical and some of them you have to deviate or pivot from where you are now over the course of the time between now and when you need to do this or seize that opportunity which means you have to have a 24 month action plan right to, to shift or whether it's a new service line a subsidiary company an acquisition whatever it is that you want to do to get there and and then you have to, it's a little bit of a leap of faith there's not much of a leap of faith in, in recognizing a threat and there's not much of a difficulty in telling your peers or your subordinate leadership team you bring them in a room and say hey there's a train coming down the track it's going to hit us in 20 minutes nobody in the room is going to argue with you about getting off the tracks they all get it <laughs> right right? Instinctively. Oh yeah. Well, that's bad. What, what's our plan? You know, but if you come in there and say, Hey, I think we should buy a company that, that provides this special titanium part to trains. And then hmm. you just get, you're going to get a bunch of blank stares because they can't wrap their hands around the value of it. And why are we talking about titanium parts for trains? We don't do trains. Well, we do parts in other, in other ways. And we do 3d printing and guess what we could maybe 3d print something to take the place of a titanium, a composite type part replacing it anyway you get the point very very difficult one for a person or a leader to go through that exercise and see both the positive and the and the and the um the negative of the future very very difficult for anybody to sell the positive of the future because people tend to lean towards risk mitigation so we talked about the flexibility side of that now talk about the creativity side uh, to achieve results why is that so important so i believe in basically three phases. And I think this is something you have to do as a lifestyle, as a leadership style. It, it have to do it long enough and frequently enough to make it a habit, not just when there's an emergency or, or something out of the, out of the ordinary happening. So the first step is you have to be humble. You have to achieve intellectual humility. And what that means is you have to basically forget all the victories and all the defeats that are clouding your mind, clouding your judgment which includes all the formulas that you've used in the past, all the things that you've leaned on in the past. Because if you don't do that, you can't have the second phase. The second phase won't open up, and that's intellectual curiosity. So intellectual curiosity is the willingness with an open mind to seek information, insights, ideas, recommendations, not only from your own people, but maybe from people that don't agree with you, people outside of your organization, and, and contemplate all of that, bring all that in, to get into the third phase, which is intellectual creativity. I don't think you can truly be creative unless you've gone through the first two phases. What you're basically doing is you're saying, 
I'm going to apply what I know from what I've done in the past or what I've learned in the past in college or what some guy taught me four years ago as a mentor. And I'm going to say, that's the way we solve all problems. You know, it's like the world's a nail and I know how to swing a hammer like kind a of hammer. Thing. Yeah. But, but you have to do that as a regular way, as a leader, a regular way of regular way of addressing challenges, large and small. And like the 20 minute a day thing, it starts to become a habit. It starts to become a part of the way you think. And between those two, I think you'll end up finding that you'll be a lot more curious almost all the time. You'll be seeking information and insights from a lot of different sources all the time. And that's, so you're already kind of preset for the creativity phase. And then when the, uh, the last one we talked about was decisiveness. So decisiveness, I mean, I've, clearly we know we got to be able to make decisions as a leader, but when you talk about it in that realm of, of choosing that word decisiveness, why'd you choose that? Well, there's two reasons. One, I, I come from my pedigrees, the SEAL, the SEAL teams and the SEAL teams. And I just had a conversation of the day about this. The perception is that anybody in the military is doing whatever you saw in a, in a World War II movie with your, with your parents or something. Right. They're following orders. They're being ordered to do things they don't want to do. They're grumbling and they contribute when they have to, but they'd rather be sleeping someplace else. You know, So you, nobody's really making decisions below the officer level because that's all they're supposed to do is follow orders. Right. And the SEAL teams, it's not like that. The SEAL teams, it's much more like like a, a band trying to put together music and lyrics. It's a much more like a, uh, a group of creatives trying to come up with a, a, an ad campaign related to an artistic approach to expressing something that, uh, that needs to be expressed in the ad. So what you do is you come into a room and you have all these experts, maybe anywhere from 16 to 20 guys, all experts in their little niche areas, all experienced SEALs, and ranging from people that have been in for two years to people that might have been in for 20 years. So a huge, huge uh, repository of, of and wealth of experience. The way you go in there to solve a problem, say it's mission planning, is you don't go in there and say, we've been asked to, to uh, go to this town, find this guy, and capture this guy, and bring him back for you know, intelligence collection purposes. And this is how we're going to do it. And you lay it out and everybody goes, Roger that, sir. And they just walk out of the room and it, everybody's going to follow the Marty plan. You know, yeah. it doesn't work that way. You go in there and you kind of set the stage of what the requirements are. And then there is a planning process as far as phases, but what's going to happen in those phases? How are you going to get in? How are you going to get out? How are you going to move from phase one to phase two as a wild card brainstorming session? And it goes on for as much time as you're allowed based on the mission timeline. But at some point, as the officer facilitating all this input and kind of galvanizing all these ideas and thoughts into actual planning points, you either run out of time or you get to a point where you just have to say pencils down, this is it, this is what we're gonna go do. We're gonna rehearse this, we're gonna brief this, and then we're gonna go execute this. So at some point you have to make a decision. Yep. You can't just analyze it to death and you can't, you know, and the other the other enemy of that, which we never had in the SEAL team so much, is you don't compromise. If one guy says we should run fast and the other person says we should crawl slow, you don't go, what we're going to do is we're going to walk at a moderate pace. You, none, none of that splitting the different stuff makes any sense when you're trying to get to an actual excellent outcome. So in business, you end up, especially in the way uh, leadership and management, that's so much leadership. Leadership isn't really taught in schools anymore, or if it ever was. But in management, in management business schools, what they teach is 
consensus building, compromise, crowdsourcing decisions. And you get this whole crowd coming off of this now for the last 10 years. And essentially what it really is, it's a way to diversify accountability so that nobody's accountable if everybody's accountable. That's one kind of outcome of it. And the second thing is when you end up with this kind of compromise, you end up with something that's less than excellent. And if you look at anything that's considered excellent in history, you'll find somebody like a Steve Jobs or somebody that said, this is what we're going after. Yeah. I don't care how you get there, your job's to build it. This is what we're going after. He didn't say, okay, I don't want, I don't want a phone. You're right. If the phone's not gonna be this big. Let's make the phone as big as a, you know, a basketball shoe because yeah. you got, because you four guys disagree with me. I'm going to go with that to make everybody feel comfortable and happy and feel like they had input. That's not the way excellence is achieved. So at some point, somebody's got to be accountable and that accountable person has to make a decision, which is decisiveness. You don't have to be a brute. You don't have to be a, a tyrant or a dictator. There's a way to do the process like I described in the SEAL teams. And you can do that in business and you'll get better results. Yeah, I think too is, you know, I think you, you mentioned Steve Jobs. I mean, so there's a guy, right, that has created so many different industries, uh, whether it's phone, it's movies, it's, you know, how we uh, listen to music. I mean, all, all sorts of stuff, right? Incredible. Um, and, and I don't know if it was in, in your book or if it was a different book I was reading this morning, but it, it talks about if you ask the people in the early 1900s, like what they wanted, they wanted, you know, a faster horse, right? But right. the Model T Ford, right? Henry Ford wanted cars. He was talking about things that people didn't even know they wanted. They wouldn't even articulate it. I want an automobile because they wouldn't do it. So how do we do that as leaders of organizations now? Uh, I'm not thinking about going and creating a new car, whatever the new automobile was or at that time, but how do we get creative enough to start to think about how do I change my industry? How do I change this thing that I've been doing for so long in the same way? So I think you don't have to take a leap of faith. You don't have to leapfrog current reality completely. And there's a reason for that. I mean, it took the phonograph, the TV, the automobile decades to be adapted yeah. in a massive way, right? And become an industry and all that. Now, technology moves at a much faster speed. Shelf life is much shorter nowadays. But still, if you invent something that nobody needs, the second part of this is trying to get people to realize they need it. Yeah. So that's marketing. Yeah, that's marketing, right? Create create an awareness of something you have as a shortfall that this thing fills. And if you do that, you better be someplace in a well-funded research center or something because you're not going to be able to run a business for very long on uh, just an idea and a sketch. So, no. so I, I think you have to do it in, in increments, uh, in baby steps, but those baby steps could be 12 months out. Mostly, as you know, in the entrepreneurial world it's innovation and not invention invention is something that's completely new and i would say the car was completely different than having an animal pulling you know a box with some wheels on it but innovation happens every day innovation is something every company can do and you can do it in, in services you can do it in the way you design your organization the way you communicate with customers and clients the way you analyze your competition there's, there's an opportunity, 360 degrees, seven days a week to look for where, ways that you can um, innovate and look for adjacent 
openings and, and opportunities to what you're doing currently. So. Yeah. And so what um, I'm always fascinated by this with people, leaders, and, and, you know, you're a busy guy, you're, you're chasing your, was it four companies that you run and, and uh, all, all the stuff you're doing. So what, what is it that if I followed you around with a camera every single day that I, I would see no miss items for Marty strong for you personally? Are you saying what, what am I falling short on? <laughs> no, no. Like meaning like or, just the no miss items that would be like, Hey, this helps me be successful. Oh, so yeah, gotcha. obviously if I, if I run around to work, you got to, you know, respond to some emails, you got to have some meetings. Those are things, sure. but like, what are the things that you're just your habits, man, your, your traditions, your daily disciplines are that I will right. see time and time again with Marty. The first thing is I get up at five in the morning. Okay. Now this isn't, this isn't, uh, you know, ground a groundbreaking earth shading, shaking kind of a, an idea lots of people do it. it turns out a lot of um successful people do it i didn't know that i saw an article not too long ago and they were listing all these different successful ceos a lot of athletes a lot of people get up at five in the morning one of the reasons is i can do that 20 minute exercise i told you about yeah and i do that 20 minute exercise and i've got to cover all these different companies i have to cover my own consulting and my own books and everything i got to look at what do i want to do next do i want to write a third business book do I want to write a 10th novel? Do I not want to do any of those things? Do I want to write treatments and turn some of the novels into pitches for, for movies or for streaming content? Or do I not want to do that? These are, this is what I do early in the morning. I, I'm usually um, sitting right where I am right now by about 520 with a cup of coffee. And I think through all those things and as ideas and, and, and insights and, and points pop into my head, I write them down. And I have a dry erase board over my shoulder, as you can't see, and it's covered with ideas. One side's got a, one idea exploded out in pretty big, in a kind of a big aspect, but I do that every morning. And sometimes I'm reviewing what I did the day before, and some of these dreams kind of fall apart when I start throwing some real reality checks against them. So I'm pretty so much- Can I doing, interrupt real quick there so we can yeah. kind of dive into that process? So you're sitting in that chair right there, and I mean, you literally just kind of- sitting there and like whatever comes to your mind or do you have like a journal that you've gone through or is it like literally it just kind of comes out whatever comes out you write it down and then you i change so. channels so i start off with my responsibilities as ceo and the board um the board relationship communications and i spend probably about four or five minutes thinking through that what can i do proactively what can i what can i do that'll improve things how do i want this to be better in two months or six months. And then I ship the channel to the government contracting company, kind of do the same thing. And then I do the same thing with a healthcare company. And then I, then I shift to the last thing I do is I shift to my own, my own business. And depending on where we are on the two operating businesses, I may spend more than five minutes on one or the other, because we may be in a moment of, of crisis or opportunity. Yep. And, um, uh, and so that's what I do. And then I just, I write the thoughts down. I don't try to flesh them all out. Sometimes I just write a word because it'll trigger it later. And then I get into, um, once I've done all that, so now it's about a quarter to six. And then I spend about 30 to 40 minutes doing marketing, things related to the books, things related to social media. And then I get a second cup of coffee and I open up all the emails related to my day job. And I start going through all of them, make sure that I responded to the ones I'm supposed to respond to, make sure I read all the content that I'm supposed to read, files attached, et cetera. And that kind of takes me to about 7.15-ish. 
And then I take a break and I sit down with my wife and we just talk. And sometimes we watch something we've recorded on TV for about 45 minutes. Then I shower and I'm in the office by 8.30. So once I get in the office and anybody that's leading a company who's not actually doing the work of the company themselves and you're not actually the, the salesperson or the service provider yeah. deliverer. I found that if you can do and get all your stuff ahead and get ahead of yourself there in the morning, you walk in there because somebody's going to walk up and crush your great idea of what your day was going to look like. They're going to come up and say, Hey, so-and-so just quit or Hey, so-and-so just, you know, fell and hurt their ankle out here. Do we have medical insurance? Something's going to happen. Yep. And sometimes they just want to tell me, and I have people that have the authority to do something about it and we have processes for them to follow. But sometimes they'll come up and say something that, that I have, I'm the only one that has the authority to do anything about it. And I might spend that entire day from the point that I have this put on my lap, focusing on fixing that, that challenge. And uh, eventually the day ends and it may or may not be completed. And the next day when I walk in the office at 8.30, I have to keep attacking that plus be free to hear any other things that pop up. So it's pretty much because we have people in, in Japan, we have people that do um, training down in Central South America because the time zones and everything else, you're pretty much 24, seven, seven days a week, 365 days, but you're in the way I've done it. I'm in more of a casual, comfortable reactionary mode in general. And if I have one or two things I want to do proactively, I'll work on them, but I always know Murphy or something's going to drop in and disrupt me. Yeah. And I'm okay with that now. Yeah. I talk about that with the, your, your attitude, we wake up, we choose it every single day. If we have a great attitude, then your belief system comes in. But between those two things, there's this thing called rejection, right? It's just what you talked about. Something happened with this employee or that client or whatever it may be that that rejection is really trying to drive you away and have you in a bad attitude, which then in my opinion, that's where your belief systems come in, right? And our history tells us that if I believe in these things, then I can deal with the rejection. And so now it's how fast I call it bounce back theory. How fast can I bounce back from that rejection? And I'm sure you'd agree with me on this is that the, the people that bounce back the quickest are the most successful people in the world. The ones that want to go home and pout about it and, you know, sit in the fetal position in the corner of their office and cry, it's going to take them longer to rebound. And they're going to wonder why, right? That's, you know, you have to, you have to create your own resilience and, you also, you know, the, the habits and the behaviors kind of converge to become a discipline system. So just like you don't want to have something derail you emotionally or intellectually and emotionally during the day, you want to get, get back on your, get back on your game. The other thing is you don't want to have a, a crisis or a problem suck you down into a rabbit hole because what will happen is if, if you allow yourself to get sucked in and stay in there, you completely forget about the future you i mean next week even as a future right. you start getting into this really hyper um problem solving mode and anybody that's in charge or anybody owns a company or anybody is a leader of a division or, a, or anything like that you 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 are there because you're good at solving problems but sometimes you you know you get to a point where you're really not supposed to be the person solving the problems not all right. the problems there's like four problems a year you're supposed to really be the one to solve <laughs> the way you solve problems is you make sure that the people that you've hired, the people that are being trained, the systems and the processes and everything are in place. That problem solving is happening all the time. And the other 96% of the stuff you're not touching is on track. 
that's what you have to do as a leader. That's what you have to set up as a leader. And I write in, in I think, be nimble about you don't want to be the arsonist that sets sets the fire through all uh, through not doing any of those things. And then when the panic happens, you jump in like a firefighter, you know, and you save the day because you're so talented. And you've got 10 years of doing this kind of thing, even though you're up here, not supposed to be doing this kind of thing. And you're giving orders, and you're running around. Everybody goes, Ooh, ah, God, he was so good. He was so poised. She was incredible. What a great leader. She's so, so she's so special, you know, and then you walk out doing the, the hand wave, but I've been around organizations and I've had people working for me that I've sat them down, you know, after the third, fourth time I've heard this heroic, this heroic saga from somebody. And I said, well, tell me what happened. You know? And then eventually I get into this whole six Sigma causal analysis. It turns out their lack of the fact they didn't build structure you know, improve the quality of their team, continue and sustain training, test and, and, and make sure that they validate their systems and processes for, for stress, a stress test of those things is, is automatically generating a crisis every so often that he jumps in yep. and, and takes bows for, or she does. So yeah, there's a lot of things you got to do and that maintaining discipline, you want to get sucked in, you got to pull up. military. That's a general rule of junior officers. The junior officers feel like, well, I got to get in there. The wheel just kind of came off the truck. I'm going to go over there and help pull the, the, the wheel off the truck. Not your job. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'll ask you a question and I'll, and I'll lead with what I'm asking this for and what my word is, because it, it may be a difficult question to, to answer. But if I said you had to pick one word, like there's this one word that means something to you, what would that be for you? Because for me, the word is choice. Like I'm a huge believer in the word choice that we have so much choice in what we do, right? The choice of our attitude, choice of doing things, even when you don't want to do it, you still got to show up and do it, right? The choice of who we spend our time with, the choice of the actions that we take every single day. Uh, I think we choose our results and I could go on and on and on about these choices and all the things that we do. So what's that word for you and why? Commitment. I think commitment is a good word that wraps in a lot of what we've already been talking about. And yep. if you are a committed person and you're exercising commitment and all that you do, you have a disciplined system. You've got good habits. You've got behaviors that are, that are creative and positive and, and appropriate. You are probably like, like a, um, a person trying to swim against the, the tide you're running into resistance. You're running into friction. Everybody does, but you don't complain about it. You don't stop because of it, because yeah. if you're a committed person, if you're, if you have commitment, you basically say, well, I'm just not gonna get to where I'm going as fast as I thought I was because of this current. And, and that to me is an, an incredibly important approach to life. If you're going to be a parent, if you're going to be a husband or a wife, if you're going to be a coworker, if you're going to be a volunteer, I think those people that are truly committed are those people that change the world. Yeah, that's a huge, and that is a great word. And I think I'm going to butcher this quote, but I, I read it somewhere is, is commitment is when it's still a commitment, even though uh, the feelings you had when you made it a commitment are gone, you still go out and do it. Right. If that makes any sense, I'm paraphrasing there, but it's true, right? Cause we can be yeah. all fired up in the moment and I'm going to commit to this. And then you're, you know, the battle cry for it. And then 
you know, a day later, you're like, oh man, that's tougher than I thought, but I was so fired up. Yeah. But when it stays a commitment, that's when it's truly, we're going to go out and make an impact and to your point, change the world. It's kind of like that, that quote about character, you know, character is what you do when nobody's looking. Yeah. I think commitments that way too. Yep. It happens between your ears. It, it was something I witnessed in, in SEAL training, uh, a little bit, don't remember much of it when I was actually a student, but when I went back as an instructor and ran hell weeks in the selection process, you could see, you could physically, physically see yep. the difference in somebody's eyes, the committed versus the not committed. And then once they went from not committed to, <laughs> I, sh I just don't want to be here at all. It was a whole different look. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes they'd be in the middle and they'd get back to committed, but yeah, the ones that ended up going to the, I don't want to be here. And their eyes looked kind of dull and they just, you could tell they weren't, weren't happy or excited anymore. You knew they were gone. They were yeah. And, and it, yeah. That makes me think of a friend of mine, an author, Matthew Kelly, he talks about the QS, the quit and stayed, you know? And so when you said that it's, they've, they may stay working where they're at, but they've physically have quit. So therefore they're, they're gone, but they quit and stayed. And I think that's when it's us as a leader to have that tough conversation with somebody and, and talk to them about that quit and stay mentality. Yeah, the military version of that is retired on active duty. Oh, yeah. Pe people that aren't being challenged, aren't being pushed, they've achieved a certain rank and they're sitting at a desk and they're, they don't, they're not going to take risks. They're not going to yeah. do anything more than just the regular day. And, and then if you're, if you're younger in, in a military organization and you're, you're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to get something done and you run into this immovable object, which is this, this, this thing, this person that's decided I have four years to go before I hit 20 years, but I decided I've, I've retired now yeah. psychologically, mentally, you know, everything. It's really frustrating, but it's a real thing. You, you run into those people and you see the same thing in, in, in obviously in government in general and uh, in business too. It's yeah. you, you can't survive as a small business with somebody like that because there's just not enough people, you know, the, the single point of failures uh, it magnified. Right. Yeah. But um but it's frustrating, especially if you're, you're committed and you're, you've got other people who are committed. You start hearing from lots of different sources that there's a problem on the second yeah. floor. Yeah. So let's talk about um, one of the final questions here is, you know, we talk about success and all the things that we do right. And, but what, what's something that you struggle with? And, and I'll be transparent and share that mine, mine's more of like a fitness side. Like I don't love working out, you know, and, and, I, I love the concept of it. I, I enjoy it when I'm done with it, but I'm not this like seven day a week guy, you know, all this stuff showing up and just doing it even when I don't want to do it. If I don't want to do it, I just don't freaking do it. Right. And so that's what I struggle with. But when you think of sleep or your diet or exercise or something you know, I'm not even thinking of right now, is, is there something that you struggle with and what have you done? And I can share my accountability to the, to the exercise later, but that you've done to overcome that. And now it's, it's become a habit for you. Well, it's not fitness. Since we're done here, I'm going right onto the Peloton bike. So I, I work yeah. out six, six, Mine's days right a, there. six days a week. And uh, yeah, I, I've, I've always, I've always liked working out. I've always liked sports. So yeah, I stay, I stay in good shape that way. I have no problem sleeping. I go to sleep at night, wake up the next morning. Boom. You know, I'm, I'm good. My, my problem is taking actual time off quality time off my kids are all grown i got five kids five grandkids so we don't have anybody in the house running around that we have to worry about paying attention to yeah 
except for a little Yorkie poo. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so in 2020, before COVID, I sat down with my wife and said, okay, we gotta, I gotta solve this. I gotta fix this. Cause I'm, I'm committed. Yeah. So if you're, if you're committed to all those channels, I, ra- I rattled off earlier, you know, there's gotta be a channel called, you know, you and your, and your family. So as much as I have intermittent contact all day long, and when I work from home, I'm here, I'm not really engaging. I'm not really involved. So in 2020, we sat down and we, we set up a whole bunch of trips and we set up a, two comedy concerts. These are like destination concerts. And I think three or four uh, music concerts. And, and we had the whole year stacked. That's we we cool. sat there, we lined it up. And so now I got a commitment, right? I got a schedule. We're going to get out of town. We're going to go have fun. Everyone got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> And, and actually they were canceled. They were canceled again in 21 and postponed. I think we got to see one, uh, got to see the Doobie brothers finally. Oh, there you go. Almost three years later. Um, so we, we just went through this again and we just came back from, from four days in uh, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, which, you know, she set that up a while back. We've got, I think four trips set up between now and January. We're going to set up a ski trip in February. So, that's how I'm trying to cope with my weak area, my, my, my failing. I need to take that as seriously and commit to that as completely as I commit to all the other things. Yeah. And, and I, what I hear there too, is that we got to pre-plan it, right? I mean, if, if they're on the calendar, then you're going to take your weakness and you're going to turn it into an opportunity mm-hmm. because now it's there and now you just got to go do it, right? You just got to get on the plane or the car or whatever it is and, and go make it happen. And, and for me, uh, people last few weeks have probably heard me talk about this in the podcast is that my accountability was I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I need at least need twice a week. So Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, 6am, I've got anywhere from five to you know eight guys that come to my backyard. I walk outside usually around 542 or 552. And, and I'm ready get the weights out there. And there's usually at least one or two guys already out there doing stuff, right? They're exercising. But for me, like, I know I just, I wouldn't wake up then and go do it. And so yeah. I had to create this environment that I know a bunch of my buddies are going to be in my own damn backyard. Guess who's showing up? This guy, right? And so it's been, it's been phenomenal. So again, to our listeners, I would say, find that buddy group, find that system, book it on your calendar, whatever it is, yeah. do something about it and make it happen. Yeah. Figure out, I mean, what works with me is telling somebody I'm going to do something because yeah. then I, then I'm, then I have to be committed to it. Right. So right. Well, because I'm going to go check your your uh, Peloton name out and see if you actually rode the bike after yeah. this. So if <laughs> if uh, and it's uh, Time Warrior. Um, there you go. So if uh, if I would run a half marathon, or me and my wife, you know, we ran marathons, half marathons, adventure races, things like that. As soon as we signed up, like the next day, you're like, "What the hell did I just do?" Yeah. Because now you're committed to the whole training program and buying all the cool gear and stuff, and. Uh, so one of the first things I would do is I'd tell people at the office, I'd tell my friends because I could never live down, not doing it. Once I, told absolutely. Them. That's what kept me. That's what kept me on track. If we didn't tell anybody, we could just go, Hey, eh. yeah. you good. I'm good. If you're good. Yeah. 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 Just cancel this. <laughs> yeah. The way they say go public, you know, if you got a yeah. goal, you got a big goal at work personally, whatever it is, go public with it. And, uh, and I've spent my whole career doing that. You just, because if you, you're right, if you tell enough people, it's like, oh crap, man! I gotta do that, you know. Yeah. So well, it works. It works for me anyway. I I I don't like to uh, say one thing and then not do it. 
Yeah. Well, and you, and you definitely can't do it when you're writing books and talking about it in interviews all the time. You, exactly. You know. Exactly. So be visionary strategic leadership in the age of optimization. Um, it's, it's going to be an awesome book coming out in January of 2023. What's your number one goal you hope somebody gets from it? That they lift their head up and look at the horizon and learn how to dream again. Mm. Powerful. Isn't it dreaming? I think so. I love yeah. it. I just love the word dream, you know? It's uh, it is amazing. And that, that's for me, what I do in strategic think time every week, you know, just me, my journal, an ink pen, no technology and just dream. And yeah. uh, we got to do more of it. And I'm sure you'd agree with that is the, some of my best ideas, my best decisions have come from that time alone. Uh, but, it, but at the beginning it was really tough because you'd feel like as a hard charging guy, I'd be like, well, this is, I, I, I'm weak. Why am I being a loser sitting over here with an ink pen and a piece of paper, man, I, sh I should be doing this. But then I found, as I've done it now since July of 2005, that it's by far the best time I spend all week. Yeah. And there's, and this, there's a sequence. You, know, you don't just dream. That sounds yeah. kind of goofy, but you dream. The dream turns into vision. The vision turns into a concept, usually somewhat fleshed out on paper. The yep. concept is converted into a strategy. And the That's strategy right. then drives an operational game plan, milestones, et cetera, to achieve the strategy. That, that's how you go back into the reality of business. You start with the dream and you work your way structurally backwards. Love it. Love it. Where do we find more of uh, Marty Strong that we can put in the uh, show notes for our listeners to find more of you? You just go to martystrongbnimble.com and there's links to all my books, articles, all kinds of stuff there. Awesome, man. We'll put it on uh, social media or on our uh, show notes for sure. And uh, thanks for joining me again, man, on the circuit of success. This is a great time and always enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Enjoy.